I titled this because the question that comes up is, Who are you, Lord? And it comes up because of an unusual encounter. And I know that all of us have unusual encounters from time to time in our lives. If you think back, there's somebody that you've met, or maybe they've had a large influence, a long influence on your life. Maybe it was just something sporadic or something somebody said. Maybe you know them, maybe you don't know them, but it's had a lasting impact on you. I remember once after I'd become a Christian, I was really uh, depressed and then I just wasn't interested in Christian things at all. And, and so I, I'd been out walking at night and, and just feeling sorry for myself. And I uh, come back into uh, to the, the home where I was staying, it was my cousin's home, and I turned on the TV, thought I'd watch a Western or something, and, and uh, this preacher comes on, and I'm lying down on the couch. This was before remote controls. And I'm really tired, it's past midnight, and I just do not want to watch this. You know, I just thought, who in the world, you know? I, but I was too tired to get up and go change the channels. And so I'm sitting there, just wondering, when am I going to get up to go change the channel? And suddenly this guy stops. What he's, I don't know what he was preaching. I have no idea. He stops. He looks right. It looks like he's looking right at me. He's looking right at the camera. He points his finger and he says, young man, don't let the devil rule your life. <laughs> now, I never met this guy. I have no idea if he has any idea what happened. But that night, Jesus touched me. I realized that the whole situation that I had brought upon myself had been uh, of my making and it was destructive to me. And God uses some nut on the TV to point his finger at me and tell me, don't let the devil rule your life. I, I, I'm incredibly grateful for that. A lot of things have happened since then, but I've never forgotten that the devil shouldn't have any place to rule my life. <laughs> I just, I don't want that. What he brings is death and destruction, ruin, upset, misery. And Jesus promises life in abundance. And, and I look at the difference and I say, well, I'd, I'd rather choose life. Well, that kind of brings us to this unexpected encounter without a TV, <laughs> That, the, that Saul has on his way to Damascus. So let's look at Acts chapter 9, beginning at verse 1. Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest, and he asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And it came about that as he journeyed, he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who, who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and it shall be told you what you must do. And the men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. 
And Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus, and he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias? And he said, Behold, here am I, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, he said, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much he did to the saints at Jerusalem, and he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call upon thy name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias departed and entered the house, and after laying his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he regained his sight, and he arose and was baptized, and he took food and was strengthened. Well, I find this a... Uh, uh, just an incredible story, an amazing story. One miracle, it seems, happens right after another. One supernatural event happens after another supernatural event just piles up on top of one another and, and has a remarkable impact, not just on one man for one time, but for all people for all time. <laughs> That's hard to believe, isn't it? Just... One brief encounter with the risen Lord. Now, it starts off that Saul, he's later called Paul, has a name change. But Saul is a man of honor and a man of zeal. His zeal is for God. His zeal is that there is only one God he is above all. He's the creator of all things. And, and I have to be involved as a leader of the sect of the Pharisees. I've got to be one of those that's going to protect his name from all those outside who, who believe in multiple gods, those who believe in foreign gods and, and worship the sun and the moon and everything else. So I'm going to take everything I've got to make sure that there is there's nobody from the outside coming in to destroy the purity of our faith. And the second thing is I've got to make sure that there's nobody from the inside that's going to destroy our faith from the inside by trying to change it around. And so with this 
very clear perspective, what he sees, his understanding of what is right and what is wrong that has been drummed into him for his whole life as he was raised up in, in a righteous home, a Jewish home. He's, he is trained under the leader Gamaliel. He has all this incredible insight into the law of Moses and to the prophets, into all the Psalms. He is looking forward to the Messiah coming. He wants to see the kingdom of David reestablished so that in this world, the kingdom of God would overshadow the whole earth and get rid of all these heathen things that are going on. (laughs) And then when suddenly... Somebody by the name of Stephen comes along and says, you are waiting for the Messiah, but he came. We know him. His name is Jesus, and you crucified him. He only saw this as a destructive force from within Judaism to destroy the very things that he was called to protect and honor. And so his zeal for God is driving him to persecute Christians. Fascinating to me is that we have no idea who brought the the gospel to Damascus. (laughs) We, We haven't read anything up till now about Damascus at all, but he wants to go to Damascus, and I was thinking, I've got some stuff from Damascus in my house. I said, I ought to bring some of it along and show it to you. Just... It's, it's just fun. I've been through the souks and the markets in Damascus a long, long time ago. We're talking about the, uh, the 60s when <laughs> I was there, and, uh, 50s and 60s. And, and, and I, I, I have this picture. There's a wall in Damascus where apparently they let Paul down in a basket from the wall to escape the persecution in the city. But whatever is going on, I... I, I I'm looking at him on his way to Damascus to do this righteous, zealous deed in honor to protect the will of God. And many of us would say that's a a great thing. You ought to work hard for God. You ought to protect God's honor. (laughs) As if God couldn't protect his honor. (laughs) And here we have this event As it comes along, suddenly this light bursts upon him. He falls down. He goes blind. He sees this vision there speaking to him. Others hear the voice. He he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I mean, what a silly question. He hasn't a clue who the guy is. How can I be persecuting you? I don't know who you are. What do you mean? Why do you say that I'm persecuting you? I've never looked for you or seen you or anything. This is the first time we've ever met. His question is, who are you? What kind of power do you have? Who are you that has this kind of impact that you can stop somebody in his tracks, make him go blind, speak to him as a voice that others can hear and not see anything? This is incredible. Who are you? Who is this person? He even calls him Lord. Why? Because he knows that he has much more power than anything that he has in his arsenal. And in the middle of this, here 
He says, I am Jesus. Jesus took the persecution of all the followers who were believing that he was the Messiah personally as an offense. He says, you're persecuting me by persecuting my disciples. And then he gives them instructions. He says, get up, go into the city, and it'll be told you what to what's going to happen. I mean, that's all. That, that, that's it. One question, why are you persecuting me? Who are you? Well, I'm Jesus. Now get up and go into the city, and you'll find out what's going to happen. <laughs> what an encounter. He has no idea what the future holds. His whole life that had been geared in one direction, that he was convinced was right and correct, was now suddenly, abruptly halted. They lead him by the hand, bring him into a house, and it says he was there for three days without sight in darkness, didn't eat, didn't drink, anything. anything. What is going on in his mind for three days? He has just come on an expedition where he is doing the thing that he is convinced is important and right to protect God's honor and suddenly is confronted with the one that he knew was cursed because he died on a tree. He's confronted by the one whom he knows was, was a burden to the whole nation of Israel and he was glad that they had gotten rid of him and he was glad that they were getting rid of his followers. And finally they were going to get rid of this menace to Judaism. Finally we were going to get rid. And suddenly he meets the one who was raised from the dead. Amen. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> who are you? The question that's resounding in his mind now is, who are you? He remembers, I'm sure, some of the things that Stephen had said while he was being stoned, where he understood that, that he says, you're looking for the Messiah, but we have found the Messiah. You are looking for, for one who will bring peace to the world. We have found the peace, the Prince of Peace. You are looking for one who can change lives. We met the one who conquers death as well as sin. I can, I can see his whole mind just going back and forth. Oh my goodness, who is this guy? Who is Jesus? He's a man who's well acquainted with all of the Old Testament scriptures. He's learned most of it all by heart. We, we saw how 
the Ethiopian eunuch was reading from Isaiah 53 and didn't understand any of it. That starts off with all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned each one to our own way. But the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. If you're like me, you read something like that and you go, what in the world is iniquity? <laughs> I don't know, anybody here got a good definition of iniquity? <laughs> we, we, we tend to read these things over. But I know that he knows what iniquity is. I know that he understands the word iniquity, but suddenly... He's reading this from a whole new understanding by bringing these scriptures up in his mind. And there's a lot of them. It's going to take him a lot more than just three days to go through all the scriptures. If Jesus is the Messiah that these scriptures have been talking about, if he is the one that God prepared for from beginning of creation until now, to be the Messiah that is going to transform the world, including our lives through all generations, through every language, through, through every culture. If that's who Jesus is, then I have to read the Old Testament differently. Then the kingdom of God is not a kingdom with swords and rockets and all kinds of armaments. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that's going to transform the hearts and minds of people because God draws them to Himself. Suddenly the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they're not for tearing down, but they're for building up, for strengthening, for transforming people. And here He is in the middle of this transformation going on inside His mind and He's sitting there thinking, Who are you, Lord? And his response was, I am Jesus. I am Emmanuel. I am the one who is with you. I am the one who saves you from your sin. Now you see, there's three things that Jesus saves us from. He saves us from sin. You know what sin is. Doing wrong. Making mistakes. Maybe it was thoughtful. Maybe it was unthoughtful. But whatever you did, you did something that wasn't right. And he knew it wasn't right. I remember as a little kid, I, we were at a camp up in the mountains of Lebanon, and, and they had a little store at this camp site. And I went down with my friends, and we would steal little chocolates and, and, and candy. And we'd go in and pretend to be, my dad, of course, was the preacher, you know, and so... <laughs> Preacher's kids are always a mess, aren't they? So you know, I would steal this stuff and, and I would come out with it. And we made a, a, our little uh, hut that we had for, for uh, uh, our, our friends, you know, we, it's sort of our clubhouse. We put up a sign that we were to steal uh, candy from the store. Somebody happened to walk in and see that sign. Uh, my dad was not too happy with me and I had a sore bottom for several days. I mean, it was, <laughs> he let me know that's not right. <laughs> I had to go pay back everything. I mean, it was, it, it was a learning experience. I knew it was wrong. I just was being mean, and I did it to try to get away with it. That's sin. That's it. Transgressions, that's when I'm willfully doing something to transgress. You know, I'm doing something that I shouldn't do. So 
I'm coming down the road this morning at 55 miles an hour, and, and uh, this car comes speeding past me at about 70, and uh, just cuts in front of me before the oncoming traffic. And I'm sitting there going, what a nut. <laughs> I mean, and we get up to Rocky Point, and lo and behold, he's the car right in front of me. I mean, it, I mean here he risks his life, you know, just, just to make no time at all. <laughs> he stopped at the red light. I'm right behind him. I'm going, what a nut, you know. That's transgression, iniquity. So you go from sin to transgression, and now you get to iniquity. And iniquity is gross, gross uh, wickedness. It's gross injustice. You know it's injustice, like trafficking women, like killing babies, like murder when it comes to starting wars where there's been no reason to start a war. That's iniquity. When you start being not just a little sinner, not just a little transgressor, when you start setting out and your whole mind is bent upon wickedness and evil and you're, you're set to it, you don't care how many people are killed because you, you are uh, transporting cocaine and heroin and opium. You don't care about that but you are involved in making sure that the money flow goes out and comes back in. It's gross wickedness because it's touching a lot of people, killing a lot of people. Suddenly there's, there are various levels, but when you read Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray, sin and transgressions, we've turned each one to our own way, but the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. It covers it all. It covers every last bit of it. And here is Saul having to go through this in his mind and in his heart. And he's sitting there going, oh my God, I didn't see that Jesus was the one who transforms lives, not just a little bit of healing, not a little bit of just raising the dead, but he transforms people from the inside out and changes the core of their nature. And now he's got to rethink not only his whole theology, but his whole life. Everything that he was living for and what he's doing, he had to change it all. And he's sitting there thinking all these things through. Oh my goodness, what have I done? What have I done in terms of my persecution and the killing of these Christians? What have I done? One encounter with the resurrected Christ. A few words from Jesus and his whole old life is destroyed. Amazing thing is, the guy that's going to come, isn't it interesting how God builds community? He's building people together. He does miracles. He could have done what he wanted to do. If he can show up and, and make him blind, he can also show up and heal him. He could do that too. I mean, it'd be no problem for Jesus to do any of that. But what does he do is he includes the whole community in Damascus. 
of his followers. And this guy says, wait a minute, that's the guy that's here to kill us. You want me to go talk to him? He says, you go do it. He's my chosen vessel. And when he gets there, he addresses him as brother. <laughs> and he also knows what happened to him. It doesn't say that in the vision that he saw what happened to him, but he knows what happened to him on the way to Damascus. And he said, well, you met Jesus and now, now you're going to see and now your life is going to be changed because not only are you going to become one who's going to take the good news to kings and to Gentiles. <laughs> I mean, we're talking about major change now. I mean, he's not interested in Gentiles. So now suddenly he's going to take the gospel to Gentiles and to the sons of Israel. You're going to stand before kings. You're going to stand before simple people, but you're going to bring this message all over. He has no idea how it's going to happen. He has no idea what God's plans are. But one thing he does know, he says, let me lay hands on you so that you can receive your sight and receive the Holy Spirit. And when he does, it happens. And something powerful is transformed on the inside of this man, he gets up and is baptized straight away into the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what baptism is about. It's my faith that says, I am united with him and the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. And everything else is transformed. Everything else is changed. This man, persecutor of the Christians, Three days in darkness, encountering God in an intimate way, and then finally being filled with his spirit and his power. Guess what? Has become probably the most influential Christian of all time. Through every generation, through every nation, his words are being printed in every language. They are being recorded in every language. They are you are showing the films where he has gone out and what he has done has become the, 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 the model which mission organizations around the world continue to follow and listen to. People have been affected by this one man more than they can care to say. Because he sees Jesus alive from the dead and hears his voice with a couple of sentences. The power of Jesus to impact our lives for eternity, regardless of how broken we are, regardless of how confused we are, regardless of how disrupted our lives seem to be, regardless of the sins that we have committed, regardless of all the brokenness that creates who we are, when Jesus comes and encounters us, he makes it well and puts us together not just for now, but for eternity. He transforms our lives in a way that we begin to act like Jesus did. In forgiveness, in loving, in caring, in bringing healing, in bringing help, in encouragement. 
See, Jesus didn't care whether the people believed in him or not. If they were in need, he helped them. <laughs> he left their conversion up to others that would come around and do it, like we saw with Philip in Samaria. Jesus goes in there for three days and leaves, and Philip comes back years later, and the whole thing transforms. You, you see, the, the thing is, we have no idea how God can adjust our destiny when we put our trust and our hope in Him. The whole message of the resurrection, the whole focus of this morning where we come together to remember that Jesus was raised from the dead is not just something of past history, a nice story in mythology. It's life changing to everyone who puts their hope and their trust in Jesus. Young person, don't let the devil rule your life. Old person, don't let the devil rule your life. Whoever you are, don't let the devil rule your life. What a great message of hope, of forgiveness, of restoration, of reconciliation. And the only one who really has the power to do that is the one who conquered death. In his name is Jesus. Father, you know the situation each one of us is in right here, today, right now. We know that just as you gave a calling to Saul at his conversion, so you can give us clarity about direction in our lives. Just as you transformed him by meeting with him, you can transform us by meeting with us. And just as you healed him of all his iniquity, so you can remove our iniquity as well. And as we come on this resurrection day to remember the one who is still alive and will never die again, we ask that you would meet with us, draw us into your arms, let us know your comfort, let us know your healing, let us know the wealth of your love for us that will transform us for all eternity. We ask, Lord Jesus, that you would do that for everyone here in this building today, regardless of how young or how old we are, that we would know the grace of having put our hope and trust in you. In Jesus' name.